Hello and welcome to the Wagtails podcast. My name is Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. In this podcast, I invite some pretty cool people to come and have a conversation with me on all things trauma, healing, education and well-being. I started this podcast as I realized some of the biggest learning that has happened in my career has been through meeting really great people that are working in the field and having great conversations with them. In this episode, I'm joined by the wonderful Marie McLeod, a positive psychotherapist featured in the film How to Thrive. We discuss the power of using positive psychology interventions with people experiencing struggle, and we hear about Marie's personal journey into this line of work. It was a lot of fun to record this podcast, and I'm so grateful Marie could jump on for this episode. All right, welcome to the 16th episode of the Wagtails podcast. It's such a privilege today. I've actually got Marie McLeod with me. Welcome to the podcast, Marie. Thank you, Megan. It's so lovely to be here. So I always start the podcast by asking the guests to introduce themselves and just to tell us who is Marie. Oh, well. Big question. I know. It's a big (laughs) question. It should be an easy question, shouldn't it? No, it's always big. (laughs) So um, my name's Marie McLeod. I come originally from New Zealand. I still have that accent despite having been in Melbourne now for 23 years. Um, I grew up on a farm in New Zealand. I'm the eldest of five. Um, I came to uh, Melbourne for work and um, uh, I was followed soon after by um, Gary, who's um, my partner and the father of my children. He's from Scotland. Um, So I have three children. I have twins um, who are 18 and sitting their VCE right now. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and, And Jamie, who's in year 10. Um, So that's a little bit about me outside of work and um, inside of work, my background is in social work, um, child protection, juvenile justice, Mm. disability, uh, and then um, neighbourhood renewal uh, for the Victorian government. So I had a strong background um, and very strong interest in thinking about how we um, help people who are in need, I guess, you know, in um, in a basic sense. And then it wasn't until I had children and I discovered the field of positive psychology that my career began to change and take on a different form, uh, looking at the the, the science of well-being. And, and, and since that time, I've really um, been spending time uh, thinking about how we apply the science of positive psychology, particularly in areas of vulnerability and disadvantage. Mm, Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and that's exactly why I've got you here today. Um, So much crossover there. But the thing you left out just then as well was you've actually been part of a documentary that uh, came out last year as well. So Hmm. maybe we could go there too. I did forget about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Um, So yes, um, in uh, 2020, my work with was featured uh well no, it wasn't featured first it, there was a lot of filming that happened so I was approached by the filmmakers um, in the end of 2019 um and they were wanting to make a documentary um with a kind of theme around what does it take to be happy is there a secret formula to thriving mm. and I think you know there was a few different uh ideas around that but um they had found out about some work that I was doing at Headspace the youth mental health service and they came and listened to those young people, uh, and after that, they, they they approached me and said, "Would I be prepared to be um, filmed if we took a group of 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 Australian people experiencing struggle and and apply the work that I was doing?" So that's what it became. It's called How to Thrive. It was um, released uh, 
in a soft way last year for for mental health month um and so really the theme of that film is very much about can we take the science of well-being and apply it when people are experiencing struggle Mm. and shift the dial in terms of their mental health yeah 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 and what sort of outcomes did you see for those participants so the um, the the, the uh, program and the progress of the participants was um, tracked by Dr. Peggy Kern from the University of Melbourne, um, and the results were really phenomenal. Mm. Um, uh, the dial was absolutely shifted, and I don't actually have the data on the top of my head right now anymore. But the um, the, the the not only was the data really impressive, I think that what Peggy reported was that we were filming in 2020, which yeah. was Melbourne's longest lockdown. Um, and so what she had said to us, you know, or to me at the time, is if you even keep this group of people stable, that will be progress because mm. at the moment everyone else's mental health is declining. But we saw huge um, progress and shifts in people's um, dialing up of their well-being and dialing down of their ill-being as well as particular aspects that matter to me in terms of building their well-being literacy, their capability, mm. their confidence um, to look after their own well-being and to equip themselves. And I think probably think the thing, Megan, that makes me proudest is that not only did that happen during the course of the program but that up to 18 you know they were measured again 18 months after um, when we were no longer involved with those people and the improvements and the changes in them had sustained over time Mm, which is incredible yeah because I was really excited when the film came out and I jumped to the cinema to see it (laughs) Um, because I have a particular interest in so many things that align really in in the work that you were doing in How to Thrive Um, because ultimately I also have a background in in um, positive psychology now too Um, and for me I was really driven to do it because I've always worked with uh, young people who've experienced a lot of struggle Um, and I really wanted to know can this work for them too Um, and then when I saw the film had come out I thought well this is adults who to be fair, a lot of them were experiencing very significant struggle. It wasn't minor things. They were pretty big life events that had happened or that they were going through at the time as well. Um, so I was really impressed to see it happen. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I was really curious about too was how did you make that so safe for all of them to do that and share their their really big, vulnerable stories with everyone on camera as well? Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We didn't make it easy for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, Chris Mackey, who was the clinical psych that worked with me on the film, said that, uh, you know, he has been a psychologist for 30 years and he has a practice of, I don't know, around 20 uh, psychologists. And he said, Marie, the people that you've selected to be in this film are more complex in terms of their mental health issues than the majority of people we see in my psychology practice every week. <laughs> so, um, yes, it wasn't, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't take it lightly. I mm. think, you know, for me, we kind of wanted to really test this and you know I I guess maybe it was a bit crazy in hindsight (laughs) but it was about sort of proving a point can positive psychology be used in that really pointy end Mm. um and so yes as you point out the starting point to 
that has to be creating a sense of psychological safety and creating a relationship of mutual respect. Mm. Um, and so, as you will have noticed with the film, there was um, a relationship between me and each of those participants and also um, a relationship between them and each other. Yeah. So an important aspect of the program was group work and, you know, that, that concept of a Thrive Tribe. Yeah. So there was – I personally think that's a really underutilised uh, medium for us to be supporting people, and it sort of drives me a bit mad, really, that we are um, – we have a mental health crisis on our hands. People are lining up to see psychologists one by one by one, mm. to sit in a psychologist's office one by one. Yeah. Um, and yet we have this enormous untapped potential of group work. Um, mm. So uh, what that meant um, really, you know, for me is that I had experienced the power not only of, you know, me delivering and teaching and, and coaching people in – um, positive psychology, but also when people are in a group and they have that sort of um, experience together. Mm. So in terms of creating safety, that needed to be um, done in both of those ways. Like I needed to have safety between me and each of those individuals and then to create a, a container or a, or a, or a safe place. Um, so I, I suppose I sort of thought about myself as being the hub of a wheel maybe and that, you know that that um there was a spoke from me as the hub going out to each of those individuals and then there was a um a relationship between between them and each other so what we had um decided to do and it was very fortunate that we did given that COVID happened we took people on what I called a wilderness retreat. Mm -hmm. Now that <laughs> it sounds a little bit more glamorous than what it was because it was really <laughs> like a, um, a school camp environment, which was lovely. It was in nature, but it was bunks and bugs and all the bits <laughs> that go with that. But um, the good thing about that was we chose that that was all about belonging and safety mm. and and building that as a tribe unfortunately we did because after that weekend we never saw each other again face to face for many months yeah so um i think any intervention that is about creating change needs to start with relationship yeah. we all know that yeah. you know if we're in this space but when you are working with people who are vulnerable and struggling, then that is not only more important than ever, but perhaps even more difficult because yeah. people are maybe slower to trust, they're overwhelmed, they're just surviving, they've had a lot of broken promises and um, sometimes feeling quite helpless rather than hopeful. Mm. So um, I think... For me, you know, there are there are many things and I could go through a whole kind of, you know, blueprint for belonging that I have, but you know, when I talk about this, but probably the single most important thing for me is how do we think about sharing vulnerability and not having a relationship that is I am a 
teacher, clinician, psychologist, practitioner, and you are a patient, client, mm. student. Mm-hmm. I think that that's old-fashioned and outdated. I think we need to find professional ways of being open and sharing enough of ourselves to help people to feel safe. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think you've tapped into something really important too, because when we do look at people who are struggling, lining up to see psychologists, a lot of the time we're hearing about loneliness as well. And so what you've sort of done with this group is you've actually gone, well, here's a whole bunch of people you're now connected to as well. And we're on this journey together. Um, Whereas if someone going and individually accessing a service, they're then stepping out the door trying to solve their loneliness problem alone, Um, which when you're struggling can be really difficult. Yes, I I think um, that there is a long sign epidemic of uh, mental illness, there is an epidemic of loneliness and they are related hand in glove. Mm, Um, And that um, the solution to one is the solution to the other. And, you know, we... As humans, we are tribal, you know, we, mm. we don't do so well when we're separated from our herd. You know, we are wired to feel better when we're connected to others because that's what makes us feel safe yep. back from when we were, you know, roving, roaming the savannah or whatever. You know, yeah. if we got separated from people, we would be vulnerable. Yeah. And so that is what human beings need. However, and strangely, what happens when people struggle is oftentimes they retreat into themselves, which yeah. is the reverse um, uh, of what what the, what is needed. So, creating a you know a, a tribe where people are coming together to learn how to thrive um, for me made a lot of sense because, as you sa- said, you, you you're then got this duality of of um, sharing with them content and tools and strategies to try to, to thrive but you're also giving them a context and container to practice that yeah. and the connection that they need and they crave now please don't think for a moment that that was easy no <laughs> no <laughs> because you know you can imagine taking a group of complete strangers yeah. um, where all they have in common is that they're struggling and putting them together and expecting that that would be harmonious. Um, it just, um, it, there is some beauty and magic that happens when you create a safe space and people share vulnerability and they, they bond over that. But like every group situation, there will be that sense of storming, forming, norming, and there will mm. be people who become um, kind of outliers or people that irritate and agitate. And, um, you know, that that is um, that takes a little bit of skill to navigate. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't always plain sailing, but that's precisely, I guess, what you're saying about the learning experience of that. Yeah, that absolutely. Mm. And I know we've talked a fair bit about belonging mm. already, which is mm. huge passion area of mine too. Um, mm. I think it's the, the key for healing, essentially, um, when I look at the young people I've worked with as well. If we can find a way for them to find an element of belonging, then we're, we're step one and then we can start doing work together. Um, but I know you created a framework mm. as well. So was that sort of something that existed before the filming or was this actually designed for the How to Thrive documentary? Mm. And talk us through the framework if you like as well. 
Well, funny you should say that because I, <laughs> I was just talking to a large law firm this morning and we were talking about the need for well-being and thriving to happen at all of those levels of the the me, the we and the us. Mm. And, uh, you know, that they're sort of, we're thinking towards that sort of we and us end. And I was saying to them, you know, Beacon was created originally for um, a systems level yeah, uh, framework okay. for yep. well-being. Yep. Um, I was doing work for Lendlease at the time um, and uh, we were thinking about how do we create community well-being. Mm. And Beacon was initially born uh, in that context. And then when the filmmakers approached me, um, I had been delivering a program that was called Alive to Thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was what I was using with the young people at Headspace when the filmmakers approached me. And, you know, so we sort of started um, thinking about, you know, the use of that and how we would roll it out. And then I was... Um, Funny story. I was at my brother's farm. I went out for a walk um, down in the Otways, and there is a little track there called Beacon Track. And I found myself on Beacon Track. Um, and I don't know, the universe works in mysterious ways, but I, I sort of got myself to thinking, gosh, you know, I wonder if it would be useful for me to take Beacon Framework and map to that, mm. you know, so that when we did the... Um, use the program in the film, it would be maybe more accessible and memorable. So, you know, you and your listeners, I'm sure, uh, if they're interested in positive psychology, would be familiar with Martin Seligman's framework PERMA, which is the, you yep. know, the, the original kind of um, uh, framework put forward by Seligman. And, you know, that is what I had been using. However, for me... I wanted more. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I I um I just felt a little disappointed in perma and, and frustrated. I, I wanted something that, you know, had metaphor, was memorable, was mm. measurable, was 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 also not so individualistic. Mm. Uh, I wanted it to have a little bit more about um, you know, connection to others and be able to kind of be used. Um, in not just a sort of individual context. And also that could span the self to system continuum in a way that I didn't think PERMA could. Um, and and for me, so I will talk you through Beacon. And, and as I do that, just I, I suppose um, some of the, you know, benefits I think that, that, that it brings that for me weren't quite there in PERMA. So Beacon is an evidence-based framework for uh, for cultivating thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, the metaphor, you know, obviously is, is thinking about shining your brightest for yourself and for others. Um, and uh, Beacon stands for belonging, engagement, accountability, compassion, optimism and nurture. So if I just sort of briefly talk to each of those beacon beams, um, belonging as we've spoken about is, you know, that foundational sense that in order to thrive, we need to be closely connected to others. Yeah. Um, engagement is about having a sense of meaning and purpose, knowing and using our strengths and just right amounts. Um, accountability. Right. Mm, I'm a huge fan that accountability is oh there. Well, where was that in Perma when we needed it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that actually really stood out to me when I looked at Beacon. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, you know, yeah. 
And, you know, maybe it's more when we're working with people and struggle, but I don't think so. No, I, I don't actually so think that everyone I work with and so many people that come towards me, they know the knowledge, yeah. but they don't necessarily apply it. So yeah. accountability is where the rubber hits the road. Accountability is um, the understanding that well-being or thriving is not a spectator sport mm. um, and that we need to actually take these things and do them so underneath yep. accountability in in my framework of my programs is that people have to commit they have to have goals um, they need to pursue those goals with the right balance of grit and grace mm-hmm. with a growth mindset um, and you know they transform their goals into kind of healthy habits yep. to, that help them to thrive and then the sea of beacon is compassion mm. um, and I'll be honest with you when I first created the framework keeping in mind it was a systems level framework at that time compassion was about kindness yeah um, and the well-being superpower that is kindness but what has transformed I guess is that underneath that beacon beam now we of course we still have kindness but for many many people particularly when people are struggling, it's actually self-compassion yeah, that becomes course. the bigger piece, right? Yeah. Again, not not there in, in, in Perma. So, I, I mean, I'm really grateful that that's there because that has been so transformative for mm. so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, the O of Beacon is optimism. And if you're familiar with Perma, if you take what is under the P of Perma, then that is under the O. So the, the understanding about the power of positive emotions. Mm-hmm. But the other piece that's under there is the acknowledgement of difficult, challenging emotions and how we can better navigate those. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Which again, I, I don't know that we had done, had done so well previously. Well, just even the language choice, like oh. just to talk about positive emotion, it's a little yeah. bit jarring, and it's sort of going, oh, well, what about the challenging emotions? That That's well, you need yeah. to have both. Exactly. You know? like yeah, the, and we always have to explain that to people yes. when we're we're using perma. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, right. yeah, if it's sitting there already, it's it's there. Yeah. 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 And then the end of beacon is uh, nurture. And that is about nurturing your energy. Mm. Um, And so under there is all the physical health aspects that help us to thrive. So we look at the eating, moving, sleeping and being mindful. And I really try to do that through the lens of energy uh, because our energy is such a precious thing to know how to um, create our energy and sustain it. And it's just a bit tricky sometimes to um, have those lenses about we need to, you know, eat and move. Uh, These things are more readily known, but sometimes people have got them either over or under engaged in them. Mm. So just, you know, a, a nuance and a carefulness that people need to find what works for them because some people are eating too much some people are eating too little yeah there is so much disordered eating um some people are exercising too little and some people are exercising too much so it's sort of one of those things where we need to encourage people to be discerning consumers of um the advice around well-being and thriving and, and find what works for their unique circumstances and also what they're motivated for. Yeah, yeah. Much more mm-hmm. holistic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sort yeah. of captures everything there, which is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of curious because it looked like a pretty intense um, program for you, mm. like to be, you know, like I guess that hub 
um, for the participants as well. So what did you do to look after yourself through that period of time? Mm. <laughs> your, your, your listeners could not see the grimace I just gave you. <laughs> so accountability, how did that go? <laughs> oh, I know. Well, no, I, I, I have to say accountability was 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 good. I, I am... Um, one of those rare people that have self-regulation very high in my oh, strengths. Oh, there you go. Finally um, met one. <laughs> yeah. So so I did predominantly hold myself accountable for practicing what I preach. So, you know, mm. in most days I would exercise and connect and try time, try and find time to be mindful and, you know, th- those kind of things that I know work for me. But I, I think um, – Something has to give, and and unfortunately, you know, as I said, this was happening during COVID, which was never that planned plan. or expected. Yeah. So yeah. I had three, you know, teenage children with ADHD and dyslexia and autism at home trying to school whilst I was off trying to save the world, <laughs> um, which wasn't the best, you know, kind of combination. So, no, I mean, my, my children were... Um, uh, you know, probably took a bit of a back seat, uh, took a back seat and a front seat, I suppose, because they got very exposed to a lot of the stuff because mm. they were in the house. Mm. I was, you know, delivering this from my office that, you know, that they knew every single story and person, you know, like it just was like that. And for, for better or worse, um, uh, I probably could have done better in terms of you know my own um you know debriefing and support um and I probably would you know try to do that better another time but look I you know I I had a lot of good people around me and our team which made up the, the filmmakers um we caught up regularly and supported each other and um you know, Dee, the filmmaker, and I would joke sometimes it was like sort of, you know, parenting, you know, we have to sort yeah. of tag team and, and, yeah. and make decisions sometimes when, you know, when when things were, were, were tricky. Um, so, you know, I think it was um, perfectly imperfect. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> In all yeah. honesty, but, you know, I, I yeah. think it always is, right, for those of us who are the you know, the, the helpers or the doers or the teachers or whatever, it, it is a constant um, process of reflecting the degree to which we are doing unto ourselves that which we do yeah. for others or recommend to others. Right? Yeah, that, absolutely. I'm still learning that too. Yeah, and we were learning what to do in COVID. So yeah, it's yeah, sort of like, yeah. you know, what actually works for my well-being in a lockdown? Don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, haven't been in one before. That's right. Yeah, yeah, so we're all just navigating that together at the same time as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious as well, Marie, how did you get into all of this field and this line of work? So I know you sort of were child protection and youth justice previously. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we've had a bit of crossover with some of that work before as well. Um, but yeah, curious, like what led each of those decisions around getting into this line of work? Uh, look, I I think we seek to learn what we most need to know, maybe. Mm, well, I like that. <laughs> um, I Yes, I had been doing all of those things, um, social work and, and, um, and neighbourhood renewal. So I did lead a... Um, program for Victorian government neighborhood renewal which was really looking at you know 21 disadvantaged communities around the state of Victoria that you know and again that was about look looking at communities you know what's wrong here and how do we Mm. fix it and that had been Mm -hmm. my whole career to date had been 
you know, child protection families or juvenile justice or disability. Like there was always that kind of focus of fix it, yeah. you know. Like, yeah. And I, I'm not going to lie, I flipping loved it, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, uh, but then when I had children um, and I had three children in two years, um, twins and another one very quickly with very little support uh, and – it was really. I was about to say it was really bad. That wasn't like, but it, it, it was very, very, very difficult time. Yeah. Um, and then you know suddenly what happened was instead of me being the person, um, being the service provider and helping others, I was on the other side of the the um, desk, and I was needing to go to pediatricians and psychologists and psychiatrists and, and um, be on the side of feeling like they wanted to fix me. Mm. But before that, they wanted to diagnose the deficit disorder and dysfunction. And I would turn up there and, you know, what's going wrong? Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What yeah. is um, all the things that have happened this week? And, um, and, yeah. and, and that focus on what is wrong rather than what is strong, mm. um, I just found it really didn't work it was confronting it was humiliating um and as luck would have it during that time someone handed me a book flourish by martin seligman oh, yep and i think it was you know it was an easter weekend and my mum had taken one of the kids to new zealand or something to to give me a break and i read the book and i was I, I said to my husband, this, this will change my life. Personally, mm. profession is very important work. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't until some time later until I managed to bring that to fruition. But but from that point forward, I, I had a new lens through which to see things, which is, you know, what if we do focus on what is strong rather than what is wrong? Yeah. And that was the beginning for me of what has become now my life's work. Oh, yeah. And I love that. That, like, links so much. Like, for me, I almost studied social work. I was actually on the fence around teaching or social work yeah. um, back well, a long time ago. Um, and I think I chose education because it felt a little bit more hopeful. Like, to, yeah. I still wanted to work with the same cohort of people, but I thought if I put an educator hat on, I'm looking at, supporting them with a the future. Like I'm going, I'm opening doors for your future and let's do that together. Yeah. Um, but it was still, there's still so much lacking, I think as well. And so what you're talking about really is what's what's right with these people mm. and what's going well and where's the, mm. their strength. They're walking through a door every day to do this, to yeah. show up and do it. There's something strong there too and we need to unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much for sharing what, what led you down that path as well. Oh, no, absolutely. And I, I just think it's one of those things, once you know it, it seems so obvious. But yet why yeah. is so much of the world still operating through the opposite, you know? And mm. I think if we look at many of our institutions of society and, you know, the, the whole mental health service system, it, it actually is very uh distressing to see yeah. when you know something could be different yeah that you know and i've sat i've sat in um forums recently you know about mental ill health and the way that services are going to or are supporting it and i i'm just sitting there thinking 
it's like they're sitting in the darkness and mm. they don't even know that there's a light that they can turn on. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, that, um, be, because if you continue to look at the darkness, all you'll see is the darkness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we, you know, how, how can we make what you and I know is this whole other approach and opportunity to be well despite mm. where you are in a mental health continuum how can we make that more universally available yeah and that's you know i guess what i care very much about is how can we continue to get the the evidence and the proof points and and then the um, changes in the service system so yeah. that more people have because you know since I, since the film came out I, I've had the opportunity to um, use the How to Thrive in the, in the Beacon um, program in more settings and, and had that evaluated further and repeatedly um, in a lower dosage we are still able to prove that that works mm. um, yeah which is so powerful. I think um, just before we started recording, I was letting you know as well that I now get to teach the positive psychology subject at Monash yeah. to psychology students, oh, which is the wow. lens, which is yeah. the lens that I got really excited about mm. um, was the idea that, well, they're aiming to work with in clinical yes. settings and with people that are struggling. Mm. Um, and they come into this subject, I'll say probably two thirds of them really skeptical yeah. <laughs> they kind of come in and go what's this woo woo yeah yeah so as soon as we kind of start the subject I always just ask I go who's who's actually you know sitting here going I don't think this has got any value yeah. or yeah this is going to be toxically positive and yeah, yeah slowly they start to admit that that's where they're sitting um, but by the end yeah they've shifted quite a bit oh, <laughs> in their responses as well so even last year when the film came out we were in our semester and I'd gone back in and told all the students I had to go see it because here's some evidence. Yeah. <laughs> here's some evidence that it can work with people that are struggling. Uh, yeah. That's so good because, you know, that means that you are actually uh, changing the service system because the more psychologists that know about this as an opportunity um, or, you know, I guess the bit for me that I want them to have is alongside the toolbox that you have that is informed by traditional clinical psychology yeah um, another toolbox or tools in your toolbox that are imp informed by um, well-being science and it, it is not being done very often mm, you know? absolutely so, and it's but, like you said as well that lens like as soon as you'd read flourish it was a new lens a and new you start lens, looking yeah. through everything with that lens yeah. so even if they can just walk into a room with a, cl a client or whoever it is, and they just have that lens of going, there's going to be something strong here. Mm, yes, well, that's well, that's the very ground zero, isn't yeah. it? But, you know, what I'm working on now is our Thrive Guide training. So, you know, how do we – so, you know, we have developed out the program um, How to Thrive 101, which is for individuals um, to learn how to thrive for themselves. But the next level, uh, the, the Thrive Guide training is about how do we teach our – teach people to use this with others so mm. you know you're a teacher you're a clinician you're a leader um how do you um create you know an alliance with someone where you're not the therapist or the expert in any way but you are um a guide yeah. from the side and 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 that you are able to do 
a strengths-based assessment of where they're at. So we use Beacon for that. You know, where are you shining brightly? Where do you need to kind of, you know, do some work? Um, and how do you then kind of prescribe or suggest some actions that come from a positive psychology-informed lens? And then how do you become the best accountability partner, you know, to nurture and nudge that person mm, to make change? Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's a great yeah. idea. Because that's even almost shifting that idea that you're the, the leader giving everyone oh, beacon, yes, really. You know, it's now yeah. empowering everyone to... Yeah. to be able to sit alongside others to share it oh it's not my magic I just <laughs> happen to be the you know the 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 voice or the conduit um and you know my mission is how do I if I am really committed to making this available to more people then I need to find a really good way to for there to be lots of thrive guides you know around the world and you know so I'm sort of you know see myself as like the chief thrive guide and how do I now you know make that available in a way that's really um simple yet profound yeah um because one of the things that matters to me is that we figure out um the right tools, the right dosage to ensure that this holds its efficacy so that it's still transformational. Yeah, that's right. So it's almost like what's the minimal amount that a service can use to to still make an impact. Yeah, Yeah. and that people can find their own flavour without losing the bits that matter. Yeah, 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 which is so important too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So time goes so quickly when we start recording a podcast. (laughs) We're coming close to the end of our time together, but I just wanted to see, was there anything else you wanted to dive into um, before I wrap up with some questions that we have at the end? I don't think so. Um, I think that's been super fun. Yeah, it is so much fun. <laughs> um, but I always end the podcast with five questions oh that I gosh, ask no everyone. I know. <laughs> um, but there are, like some of them are a little bit of fun, but um, yeah. it's just for your gut answer. So don't stress too much about it. <laughs> um, but the first one is, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh gosh, this is so boring. Because as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a social worker. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I, as soon as I knew it had a name, as soon as I knew what it was, I wanted to be that. And before it had a name, I just wanted to help people to live good lives or help people that weren't living good lives. Oh, yep. there oh, you go. God, yep. That sounds so naff, doesn't it? Not at all. I think you must have been a really sweet kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was the eldest of five, so oh, well, you know, there you go. I was sort of probably yep. destined to be the... The helper, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, it sounds mm. like it. Um, the second question is, what are your two top values? And you're only allowed to choose oh, two, which is really values. tricky. Ooh. Mm. I think authenticity, mm. you know, like, and that encompasses kind of, you know, integrity and openness and honesty, but... Um, I think that authenticity goes a long way to building safe connections with people. Mm. I think people can feel whether you're authentic or not. Yep. Um, and then maybe compassion, I think. Yep. Um, with doses of courage thrown in <laughs> <laughs> i'll allow it <laughs> yeah, just trying to get my third mindset no i don't know i hadn't it's so hard to oh. get it down to two yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really really tricky yeah. 
Um, the third question's a bit of a silly one. So something you don't know about me is that I'm actually really into boxing as a sport. Oh, yes, I did read that oh, okay. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Um, so if you were going to have a boxing fight, mm. what would be your walkout song that they would play oh, while you walk out to the ring? Oh, gosh. I, my kids would, would be dying with laughter now going, oh, mum never knows any songs. What would she say? <laughs> what would be my so the song that would get you all amped up and ready to go. Oh, I don't know. I don't. You <laughs> can't even think of anything. Um, I was literally saying to my kids who as they were preparing for VCE, right, what music are you going to listen to? And they said, why would we listen to music right now? And I said, it changes your variable heart, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So I know it's important, but I I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, I do like... All the terrible things, songs that, you know, music that people laugh about, like Eagles or Kenny uh, Rogers yeah. or, you yeah. know, all those kind of old favourites. But I can't just tell you one right now. So that's all right. It can be something Eagles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll just like have it yeah. as a. Yeah. Um, so the fourth question is, if you could collaborate with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, the well, <laughs> I mean, I'm a big Brene Brown lover. Yeah. Um. Uh, right now, I'm having a little bit of a professional, um, uh, I was going to say professional crush or something, but you know, like, <laughs> um, I'm loving Mo Gaudet. Okay. I don't know if you know him. No. Um, he is, um, he was the head of Google X. Um, so he is an engineer and a scientist. Yep. Um, so he has a very, very different lens on things, but he has started to look at happiness and well-being and living good lives and he's come up with these almost like mathematical formulas you know um and so i've listened to his original kind of podcast with Stephen Bartlett and then i've been listening to his other podcast mo gaudet and i'm just really loving him right now so um in the in the absence of me thinking about anyone else i'll go with mo yeah cool (laughs) that's a unique answer as well Mm. um and then the last question you may have already covered it in what we've said but it'll be a nice little snapshot even um so the last question i always ask someone is if you could make one recommendation as a step that anyone could take towards healing what would it be step towards healing Mm. My usual kind of quick win, you know, is is around changing your lens, knowing that we're all wired to look at everything that's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so doing the what went why, what went well and why activity to change yeah. our brains. Yeah. But I, I like I think I think that it's that, but I also think that self compassion is massive. Mm, yeah. So it depends where people are at, you know, like if they've all if they're already, you know, doing the work on you know what went well in my day and why to rewire their brain to focus more on on that um because many of your listeners may may be beyond that then i think that the um the work around beginning to see ourselves and treat ourselves like our own best Mm. friend and to notice when we're suffering um, and to learn to soothe ourselves and speak kindly to ourselves um, and to have regular check-in points around that. That's something that's been really a game-changer for me and, and 
is a you know continual work in progress and for your listeners that might tend to be in education it's an occupational hazard for oh, us. Oh, absolutely. You know, to yeah. not do that. Yeah, yeah. And when people yeah. look at compassion fatigue, it's often not so much that you've given out too much compassion because we're naturally wired for that. Yeah. It's you haven't given it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's out of balance. Yeah. And, and yeah. so that would be, you know, I, I just, I'd work with so many people who are, you know, giving so much to others and not giving the same to themselves. And so I think that's, and I know they're going to hear this and they're going to go, yeah, yeah, you heard all that before. Yeah. Put your own oxygen mask. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Until one day, you know, you, you yeah. kind of get your feet It takes to the practice. Fire. It's a lot it, of practice yeah. for self-compassion, it, I it think. Does. Yeah. It, it really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, realising how not doing that... Um, you know, I have this little sort of saying, my own little mathematical equation, thank you, Mo. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, that, that other care without self-care equals despair oh yeah yeah you know and, yeah. I, and so I think that again and again I see that if you care so much for others out of balance with yourselves you will end up in despair and that usually looks like burnout and it's yeah. not pretty yeah and you don't want to go there yeah great way to end I think <laughs> well thank you so much Marie it's been so much fun having you in really appreciate you taking the time absolute pleasure thank you so much <laughs> Megan Thank you, wonderful listeners, for making it right to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight, so you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.